Welcome everyone to the fantasy and betting podcast presented by the 33rd team. I am your host as always, Josh Larkey. And today Ryan Reynolds and I are joined by a special guest, NFL insider, news aggregator, the best in the business, the 33rd team zone, Ari Mayrov. Ari, we're going to go through team by team with the NFC. Are you ready for this? We're about to go some rapid fire. I'm excited for this. I mean, football season is here. That's number one. So it's here already. And now we're talking about it in depth. And this is what I'm looking forward to. All right, Ryan, are you ready? I'm certainly ready. I, Ari's one of the best followers on Twitter, so I can't wait to see what Ari's going to bring for us today. Can't wait. I agree. My sports update on Twitter. Let's dive right into the NFC East and all the news that matters for fantasy football. So a few years ago, the NFC East was probably, possibly the worst division in football. Fast forward a few years, now it's potentially the NFL's best. And let's start with America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. What are the Cowboys' plans behind Tony Pollard now that Ezekiel running back and his perennial 250 touches are no longer in Dallas? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Zeke is still a free agent. I mean, Dallas is still leaving the door open for a potential report return. I would be shocked if it does happen. But after Tony Pollard, I mean, assuming he's fully healthy from his injury, and it sounds like he is, um, it's really Malik Davis and then Deuce Vaughn. And I would expect Malik Davis to have the upper hand, but Deuce Vaughn is getting a lot of a lot of love down there in Cowboys camp. And you've probably heard this comparison throughout these last few weeks, the Darren Sproles comparison, where he's a little guy, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, in college. They've actually known each other for years the Cowboys have been seeing some of that at camp so I could see both of those running backs being used behind Tony Pollard throughout this year um, Tony will get way more touches they've been looking forward to this for for a couple of years now they would have cut Ezekiel Elliott last year if they could have because of his contract but they couldn't but um, this is Tony Pollard's year this year down there as the running back room but after that it's kind of wide open but I got to say, Deuce Vaughn is definitely making an argument there to be on the field more than probably what they expected when they selected him there in the sixth round this past year in April. I like it. Deuce Vaughn camp hype, potentially real. Before we move on to our next team, Ryan and I have been really been struggling with the tight end pecking order. We always thought Dalton Schultz was just kind of there being spoon fed these targets. Not that he's a bad player, but he was never in an elite tight end, despite producing like one in fantasy football. Now we have the the trio with Jake Ferguson, rookie Luke Schoonmaker, who's injured. And then we also have Peyton Hendershot. How are you viewing that trio? Yeah, the fact that the Cowboys allowed Dalton Schultz to leave in free agency when his market was just not there, I think he signed a one-year $6 million deal, tells me that there are guys on this roster that they are okay with. Like, they could have definitely um, beaten that offer, and they were like, now nah, we'll let him go to the other Texas team with the Texans. So um, it tells me there is somebody there. They obviously use a second-round pick on a tight end, but for now, going into this preseason, when we're going to see all of these guys, all four guys, and we'll see really who is the guy, but my money would be on Jake Ferguson, I and mean, we've seen some of the flashes whenever he was on the field last year and what he could do in that offense and this is right now Mike McCarthy's offense Mike McCarthy's the one calling play that's no longer Kellen Moore and it tells me that Mike McCarthy saw something in that tight end room last year from somebody that he was okay with moving on from Dalton Schultz to using one of the guys who are already there and the thing about the second round tight end that they took Luke Luke Shoemaker it's, it's more of I don't remember the last time there was a tight end in the NFL who came in as a rookie and produced those gigantic numbers. Like, it doesn't really happen often. That position is a difficult one to really come in from college to the NFL. So I could see it maybe taking some time for him, and that's why I would put my money on Jake Ferguson for now. We'll see what happens in the, in the preseason. But something tells me Mike McCarthy saw something last year in that tight end room that made him comfortable moving on from Dalton Schultz, and he has somebody in that room already that he's re- willing to go forward going into this season. 
That's great, great, great stuff, Ari. Especially for my best ball portfolios because I'm a little heavy on Ferguson at this point. Now let's let's jump to the NFC champion Eagles. Kenneth Gainwell's still in Philly. Boston Scott's still in Philly. Miles Sanders is a Carolina Panther, though. They signed Rashad Penny pretty cheaply. And then when as soon as DeAndre Swift became available, they jumped on him in a trade. Can you tell us what you think about the running back pecking order in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything is going to change to the way they've done it over the years where they're just going to use basically, you know, like they did last year where whoever it is will go with them. If they're playing the Giants, we'll see a lot of Boston Scott, right? But um, yeah. it's more it's more of, um, I think when Rashad Penny signed there in free agency, he took less money to sign with Philadelphia because he wanted to be behind that offensive line and put together a big year to get back to being a free agent next year, next offseason with a chance to really make his money. So I think he is expecting to be the guy and I don't think anybody was really ready for the Andre Swift trade and nobody was ready for Jameer Gibbs pick at number 12 which left him becoming available and Philadelphia being Philadelphia and Howard Roseman being Howard Roseman they traded a I think it was a 2025 pick to go get him so I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be used in that team um, as well but I think the Rashad Penny thing is so interesting because Philadelphia targeted him, but as we know, they don't put that much money into running back. So they made it clear to him, like, hey, you're going to come here. We're going to pay you basically the minimum, but you're going to be behind one of the best offensive lines or the best offensive line. And we've seen what you can do when you're healthy. So I think the Rashad Penny thing is super interesting because we've seen whenever he's healthy and on the field, what he did in Seattle, he could be incredible. Like you guys would have the numbers, but he was outstanding in Seattle whenever he was healthy. The, the health part was really the biggest problem. So I would definitely keep an eye on Rashad Penny, but I don't think there's really going to be a one, two, three in Philadelphia. I think it's going to be a committee approach here in Philadelphia if I had to guess right now. Now, let me ask you this, Ari. Jalen Hurts signed a big extension this offseason. He had 165 carries last year. Do you think there's any chance they reduce his volume as a runner this season? Yeah, this is a a fascinating topic with the new generation of just running quarterbacks. And once you pay them, it's like we got to protect that investment to make sure it doesn't get to a point where we're giving these three, four years of guarantees to this quarterback and they're already done, um, you know, because of injuries or stuff like that. So I'm curious to know if they end up doing that. For example, I think Baltimore will be doing that this year. We'll be seeing Lamar pass the ball way more and less running. I don't know really know what to expect out of Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts. I mean, I would imagine he still wants to play the exact same way he played last year. Um, him and Nick Sirianni have um, a really great relationship. And Brian Johnson, the new OC, is someone who's been very close to Jalen Hurts for years as well. So I would imagine to keep it the same way. But at the same time, you want to protect that investment. The contract that he that he got, um, I don't want to get too into the weeds with Philadelphia and their cap situation, but the way they structure that whole thing, it's not a contract you're getting at out of it after two three years like that he's going to be locked in for all these years so you you want to make sure you're protecting that investment so i wouldn't be shocked at least in the early part of the season where let's just keep on running the ball with the running backs passing the ball and not taking too many of those hits so eventually once we get to december and january we could play you unleashed the way we did last year so i wouldn't be surprised if that's the formula they take but um, that's gonna be one to watch for sure as we get into september october let's now turn to a team that has significantly less invested in the quarterback position with the Washington commanders, Ryan and I, at least, I don't think we would be surprised if Jacoby Brissett ends up starting more games than Sam Howell, Howell, a fifth round pick last season. Brissett actually played quite admirably with the Browns last year. The fantasy community has decided Sam Howell is in, he's running. He is their starter full season. We're still not sold on that. Are you sold on Sam Howell or maybe more importantly, do you think the commanders are sold on Sam Howell. 
I think the commanders will want to see Sam Howell for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see how long they let this go. Like, I would not be surprised at all if he's the week one starter and they go with him. And Jacoby Brissett was essentially the insurance in case things just go haywire. Um, they liked what they saw at the end of last year. Ron Rivera really throughout the offseason before they even signed Jacoby Brissett was out there saying that he's going to be the guy. And they really didn't go after any of the rookie quarterbacks in the draft to try to make some crazy trade. They weren't in any of the other quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson where they could have maybe jumped into that one. They, they really show that they want Sam Howell. So I think the plan was more Jacoby Brissett is here in case things don't go well. And I think for Ron Rivera and that front office of Martin Mayhew, the idea of bringing Jacoby Brissett is also that they realize new ownership coming in, we can't afford to lose games eventually with our quarterback not being what we think he is. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Howell is the guy. And let's say after five, six weeks, He's not proving what they thought he is. Then you can move over to Jacoby Brissett and start winning those games so you can save your jobs. Because as we've seen, and Ron Rivera has seen this, um, Carolina, of course, they had an ownership change and he was fired um, about half a year later when it went from Jerry Richardson to um, David Tepper. So he doesn't want the same thing to happen here with Dan Snyder to Josh Harris. So in case the Sam Howell experiment doesn't work, at least we have someone who's proven that he could be a good um, good quarterback whenever he does play like we saw last year in Cleveland with Jacoby Brissett. So I would anticipate him being the starting quarterback. Let's see what we have in the young guy. And if it doesn't work out, at least we have someone behind him ready to go. Now, a, a fantasy sleeper that I know Ryan and I have been interested in is Brian Robinson. The running back was shot in the preseason last year. And then he very, very, very quietly averaged the sixth most carries per game in the NFL, 17 per game as a rookie. New offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. He comes from the pass-heavy Chiefs. That seems to be a little bit at odds with us requesting that they force-feed Brian Robinson these carries. Do you think there's uh, going to be more of a pass-heavy focus with their play calling this year? Since it, it seems really difficult to predict when we have unproven quarterback, but very, very uh, Chiefs-centric type approach that seems to be funneling in here. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And let me just start off with this. Eric Bieniemy has as full control as you can get of an offense. He has it right now in Washington. And when I say he has full control, not just about the play calling and who's starting, whatever, he was even involved in the free agency process. Like he told them, go sign Andrew Wiley. And they went out and signed Andrew Wiley. They weren't looking at him. And he was like, no, I need a right tackle. I need my guy from Kansas City. Bring him in. So he is as involved as it gets when it comes to this offense, whether it's personnel-wise and stuff like that. What they end up doing in the running back room will be interesting. That's a great stat that you mentioned with Brian Robinson averaging 17 carries per game, um, especially after getting shot, like you said, an incredible story last year. But there have been running backs available throughout this offseason with connection to Eric Bieniemy. Jerick McKinnon, they did not pursue him. Kareem Hunt is out there. They have not been pursuing him. So it tells me that they are looking forward to using these guys in the running back room. As to which way they lean, there is no Patrick Mahomes here in this offense. And Andy Reid was the one also calling the shots in Kansas City. So I don't think it's going to be as heavy as it was in Kansas City. So I would expect there to be a nice flow of the running game here in this offense as well, especially with that defense, which I think could be a really good defense this year. They saw a lot um, – they love that defensive line there. So I think they want to control the clock and, and do those type of things. So I would not be surprised if in terms of what they did in Kansas City versus what is coming to, to Washington, Washington now is going to change. Let's uh, jump to the last team in the NFC, the Giants. I'm a Jersey guy, Ari. Some of my buddies actually went to Giants camp last week. One of them, my buddy Jay, he's a high school football coach. He said that Shepard, Beasley, Slayton, Hyatt, 
Hodgkins all saw first team reps throughout the week last week. And in particular, something that was very interesting is Cole, Cole Beasley actually saw reps in the backfield. Now, I have, I have two questions for you out of that group. One, do you think Darren Wall is Darren Waller is the team's primary receiving option this season? Yeah, I mean, when they when they enter this offseason, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, their intention was to find a high-level number one receiver, like Buffalo once did with Stephon Diggs when they were there. Um, they couldn't find any. There were no real receivers out there really available this offseason, so they pivoted over to Darren Waller, and they got him for a third-round pick, and he's making much less than those number one receivers are making. So, so far in camp, he has been the superstar of that offense. I mean, Daniel Jones keeps on going to him, and he has been the number one target it seems like for Daniel Jones so it would seem like he is the primary receiving option and Daniel Jones is gaining a pretty good rhythm with him so far and this is a guy who when healthy was getting 100 plus targets down there in the Raiders offense and the Giants are anticipating him to be that type of a player if he's healthy so yes I do think he is the primary guy from there you mentioned all the names it's it's a bloodbath of receivers right now and figuring out exactly who's the guy is one that this is why you have camp and preseason and, and a lot of those guys, like you mentioned, like a Beasley or a Crowder or um, or a Sterling Shepard, for example, all of them are on one-year minimum deals and could be cut right. after the preseason. So I think that part of it is all going to pan out here throughout the preseason. I like that. One of those receivers that I want to ask you about is rookie Jalen Hylett. We just saw that he, he ran a faster 40 than Tyreek Hill has to this point, which is, you know, unexpected to say the least for me. I was thinking that he'd have he'd be eased into the program as the season goes on, not see a lot of time early, but maybe later in the year sees a, sees a playing playing time spike. What are your thoughts on Hyatt? Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised that he fell all the way to the third round, and so far we've been seeing a lot of these different clips of Daniel Jones connecting with him, which it looks great. Um, I'll say this much: knowing the way Brian Dable operated last year, he is going to play the best the best receivers he has on the team. It's not about Kenny Galladay makes the most money; he has to be in the field. No, you're not playing; you're off. Right? That's the way it was last year. So I think it's going to be the same way this year, where the guys who are going to be on the field are going to be the best group of receivers who deserve to be on the field. That's why we saw as Ajins on the field after being claimed off waivers and he became a really good player for them. So I think Jalen Hyatt is going to be in that category where if he keeps on producing the way he has in training camp, we'll see him in the preseason as well. It would not be a surprise at all if he's going to be on the field as well, especially considering the way it looks so far. Again, it's all videos. You don't want to overreact to this stuff, but he is building a great rapport with Daniel Jones so far there in that offense. So we'll see more of it here in preseason, but he is someone so far who it looks like the Giants are excited about and like I said, Brian Deadwall is going to play the best guys in, in, in their receiving room. Ari, that Darren Waller uh, little bit mm -hmm. right there. Oh, that was music to our ears. We we we've been trying to solve that. We keep going back to at the end of the day, it feels like Waller is their most talented pass catcher. Now let's turn to the NFC North. This is a division in flux. There's no more Aaron Rodgers. The Packers are no longer the the top dogs in that division at during the, this preseason like they have been for the past few decades let's let's start off with the lions who are currently the new division favorites in the betting markets they just took as you mentioned earlier jameer gibbs at pick 12 he's 199 pounds he's probably not going to get all the work but again pick 12 they also brought in david montgomery his deal kind of translates to at least two years of guaranteed money he has 25 <clears throat> pounds on gibbs he is certifiably not explosive and dynamic as Gibbs. How do you see those two playing off each other? 
and what that touch split might look like each week. Yeah, I'm fascinated by what the Lions did because I'll be honest, I was not ready for the Jameer Gibbs on a pick on draft night. That was not one that I was expecting, especially that high. And the Lions Same. went out. Yeah, exactly. The Lions went out and did it. And it sounds like based off everything they're saying, they don't necessarily view Jameer Gibbs as a running back. I think they're going to use him in a number of different ways where they view him a little bit as an Alvin Kamara. And of course, you know, Dan Campbell was in New Orleans with Alvin Kamara, so he has some experience there with a player like that. And I think that's really the new age of running back, especially with all this debate about running backs getting paid or not. If you're able to do more than just run the ball, those guys are going to have a better chance of getting paid, and those guys have a better chance of getting drafted high, which is what happened with Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson. So I think we're going to see Jameer Gibbs on the field a lot, and we're going to see him not just as a running back but in the slot, and we'll see him catching the ball as well out of the backfield way more than some other players. And I think Ben Johnson, who was the head coaching candidate this offseason, who decided to go back to Detroit, he's already drawing up some plays in his room and has a lot of exciting stuff ready to go with Jameer Gibbs. So I'm fascinated by what the Lions do because Brad Holmes, their GM, has been an excellent drafter. And he clearly saw something here when he took Jameer Gibbs at 12. And he even said he was willing to take him at six before Bijan. So there's something there that we don't know about that we're going to see as early as the preseason and probably by week one. So I'm fascinated by that. And then you mentioned the Montgomery contract. That's not a flu contract. That's a real two, that's a real money guaranteed contract where he's going to get paid. So they also have a plan for him. I would expect him to be the bell cow running back in that offense. How much are they going to run the ball this year is a different story. I think we'll see them passing the ball a lot more. Um, in this offense with the, the weapons that they have. But they clearly have a plan for Montgomery, and we know Dan Campbell and how he loves to be aggressive and he loves to um, you know, be a little bit of a bully with that team, show, show, show that with the offense and the defense. So I would not be surprised if David Montgomery is part of this offense, but I don't know if I'm really putting all my eggs in the basket of David Montgomery, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I liked your, your parallel between Gibbs and Kamara. I, I've been using the McCaffrey rookie season where McCaffrey had 117 carries and then 113 targets. Not that Gibbs will reach that many targets, but the idea that they don't really want Gibbs running the ball up the middle. You don't invest the 12th pick in a 199 pound running back just to have him hit, hit the hole and get tackled by someone 120 pounds more than him. So and that's what, that's what I think Montgomery is there for. Good. Give Montgomery those goal line carries, please. Yeah. Now, if we turn to the receiver room, I know Ryan at one point said he thought Jameson Williams would potentially be the wide receiver one in this 2023 draft class where he have waited one season. I'm very optimistic about him too. However, we've seen some camp reports. He's dropping some passes. His maturity has been called into question. Is this all smoke? Because we're at this point as fantasy enthusiasts hoping that after the six game suspension, he slots in and that he becomes the clear number two receiver behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting topic, and I guess I'll go into a little bit of a story here. But at the Combine, when I was there um, in February, there was all this talk about something isn't right with Jamison Williams in Detroit, something didn't end right. Now, I don't know what it was. I'm not even sure if it was really the gambling part of it. I don't think they really knew yet at the time. But they were, there was talk that there is, they didn't really go the way they were hoping for in this first year, and hopefully he bounces back in the second year. And then, of course, the gambling suspension happened. So, so far, the start has been a little bit rough, but as we all know, the talent is there. We saw what he did at Alabama until he, of course, tore his ACL. And Detroit decided to basically let him recover fully before putting him on the field. Saw a little bit of flash last year, but not much. So I think they're hoping that through the six-game suspension that he's going through, 
the maturity is a thing. I think they want him to just become more of a, a guy in that locker room where I, I don't really know if there's a connection problem with other receivers or whatever it is, but there was something there last year that was missing that they hope that he ends up cleaning up here during the six-game suspension. So I think that part of it is interesting. And they're looking at the six-game suspension from a Detroit perspective as a potential blessing in disguise. Let this guy get away for a little bit, come back into the team, and eventually we hope to see the reason why we traded up from 32 to 12 to go get him to be that big play receiver in that offense. So I think after the six-game suspension, we'll know right away the way they look at him. Like, what did you learn during the suspension? Are you um, – whatever it is, I think that part of it is going to be crucial. I really don't know what to expect because there's just been so much noise, even before all this training camp stuff that's been going on here in the last few weeks, about stuff going on there in Detroit. So I'm very curious to see what ends up happening once he comes back from suspension. But the tone – um, after the season ended and going into the combine, there's so many different stories that go on in the combine, what's right, what's not, or whatever. But this one, as we've seen the dominoes fall throughout this offseason, tells me there was some truth to it. And um, we'll see how he comes back after the six games. Let's move on to the monsters of the midway, the Chicago Bears. Now, Ori, <laughs> the Bears traded an early second-round pick and ended up being the first pick in the second round for Chase Claypool in the middle of last season. They traded a first-round pick for DJ Moore. Do you think they intend to throw more with Justin Fields this year than they did last season? Um, it would be shocking if they don't. Um, right. I think they they invested so much into the receiver room and they decided to hold on to Justin Fields. Obviously, we saw what he could do as a running back, but they had the option to pick a quarterback at number one. They were like, no, we'll slide back, go back to number nine and get more assets, get a receiver for him because they want, they first of all, they believe in him as a passer when there are a lot of people in the league who don't. And they're like, no, we believe you could do it and we're going to get you more pieces to make it happen. So it would be a, a major disappointment if it's still the same Justin and feels that we saw last year, which was awesome and very exciting, but they still only won three games. So you want to change that. So um, I think we're going to see a different Justin Fields this year where he will be passing more. And now that he has more weapons and a better offensive line, frankly, they expect that to happen um, this year where we'll see a, a little bit of a different Justin Fields. He'll still be running for sure. That's what makes him so great. But a little bit um, less of that probably this year. So we know that DJ Moore is definitely going to be the top option in that passing game. Do you have a lean towards Darnell Mooney or Chase Claypool being the second? Yeah, I'm a big actions over over words type of a guy, and both these players are right now entering the final year of their rookie contracts, and so far there has been heavy extension talks with Darnell Mooney and not much with Chase Claypool, which tells me that Mooney is the guy there. Um, we'll see if a deal gets done. The receiver market is tricky because it's so high, and I don't think any of those guys deserve to be up into that upper echelon, but getting a deal done so far, they've been working on Mooney, and I haven't really gotten a sense that they've been working on Claypool much. It's actually very, very interesting. One more question about the Bears. They kind of have a muddy backfield. How we've been playing it is Khalil Herbert likely gets the chance to be the primary ball carrier. Donta Foreman directly competes with him. Roshan Johnson likely gets some passing game work, and maybe he plays more as the year goes on. You think we have that right? Yeah, I would I would repeat exactly what you said. I think Khalil Herbert is, is the guy. He's the leader in the clubhouse, and it's, it's his job to lose. And they signed Dante Foreman, of course, who has been great in his last couple of stops, whether it was in Tennessee or Carolina. But one year, $2 million, I think, was the contract. And um, they'll use him for sure. But I think this is Khalil Herbert's job to lose. Let's turn to the Packers. Is this a rebuilding year? We go from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Jordan Love has barely played football the last few seasons. How are you viewing the, the way that the Packers view this season? 
I they're not looking at it as a rebuilding year, and I think they like the fact that everyone is like, yeah, whatever, forget about the Packers. They're not legit anymore because Aaron is not there. So I think they like part of that. Um, this is a very, very young offense. I mean, they did not sign any veteran receivers. They didn't sign any veteran tight ends. Um, you obviously have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, but this is Jordan Love's really first opportunity to be the starter and the guy, and they're not giving him any veterans around him. So they're going to learn together essentially um all of this so i'm very fascinated by that part of it but this is still a defense that has a bunch of high priced veterans who can still play it's an offensive line who has a bunch of guys that they've paid from bakhtiari to um um the right tackle whose name is not coming to my mind right now but it's um you, you get my point where they have a bunch of guys there um that you know, they believe they should still be a playoff team. Now, are they going to be one? It's a different story, but I don't think they're looking at the season and saying, oh, we'll be 2-15. and 15. So um, I think it's more of a, a learning year for them to figure out who are the guys that are going to be here at this time next year as definitely building blocks, but they're not looking at the season as a rebuilding year. I think they believe they could still win the North if they will is a different question, but they love the fact that people are sleeping on them. You say it's a young offense. I'm oh, I'm getting sucked back into the rookie tight end trap. Luke Musgrave is apparently the opening day starter. Ryan and I have been considering him in that, that final round of best ball drafts. Is he actually, A, the opening day starter, and B, if he is, is there any type of receiving role for the tight end in this offense? Well, I guess I'll, I'll pass this back to you. Like, Who would be the true competition there for him not to be the starting tight end? Oh, we we we're, we're thinking he's the starting tight yeah, end, yeah, yeah, based on based on that depth chart. We're just right. nervous because this is a, a rookie who, I, a very impressive athlete, but I, I think we'd all agree he he did barely play in college due to injuries. Right. I mean, the, the Packers have also done that historically where they're not they're OK with drafting players who might have some injury concerns, but they see the potential there and they think it could become a NFL player. Now, it doesn't might not happen in year one, which could be the plan over here with Musgrave, where we don't see him pop um, in year one the way maybe some in the fantasy community are expecting. But there is really nobody else in that offense who could be the guy to start in tight end right now. So I would not be surprised if he is the starter. And as we know, with quarterbacks, the tight end is their best friend so i wouldn't be surprised if he gets some action in there but i'm not really expecting him to be i don't know jimmy graham or whatever in that offense so you know what i mean so he is going to be the, the the starting tight end probably but um what he ends up doing i really don't know what to expect in this packers offense i mean you have dobbs and watson who were good last year with rogers what are they gonna be with jordan love so there really is no knowing of who is these young guys and who is really going to take that next step now that Jordan Love is quarterback. And that's really what makes the entire Packers offense to me so interesting to follow this year. You agreed across the board there, Ari. Now let's move to the Minnesota Vikings. You know, they, they added TJ Hawkinson via trade midseason last year. They drafted Jordan Addison in the first round pick. They already have Justin Jefferson, who's, you know, maybe the best receiver through three seasons in the history of the league, statistically at least. You know, it seems like from their personnel moves, they plan to throw more. But then, you know, we're hearing whispers that they want to establish the run a little bit in Minnesota. Do you, which, which way do you think they're leaning here? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the offense really changes that much this year. I mean, frankly, the idea of moving on from Dalvin Cook, I don't think it was more of a personnel move. I think it was more of a business move where it was a cap-saving thing, and their GM is a guy named Quezia Dofomenza who is 
has a Wall Street background, very into analytics, and he's in a believer who's, you know, not paying that much into running backs. So that was part of the decision to move on from Dalvin Cook, but they believe they could get um, the same level potentially of production out of Alexander Madison. So I think that is really the plan there with that team where I wouldn't be surprised if it's essentially the same type of an offense this year. Um, I'm, I'm a big guy in guys who are in contract years, and right now we have that with Kirk Cousins, and it looks like he's not going to get extended. So he needs – a big year for his own sake once again to get back into free agency and then continue to roll out um, these gigantic contracts which he's become the king of so um i would uh, you know i would expect them to um pass the ball you know continue to pass the ball the way they did last year but i wouldn't rule out their running game and i i put an article on the site about seven breakout players for this year i put alexander madison in there because i'm telling you guys right now there is a belief in that organization that madison is someone who could definitely do the job for them in the running back room so i think um they're still gonna definitely you know keep on using him and i wouldn't be surprised at all if madison is going to be um, a big part of that offense as well so that means you think madison's the guy in minnesota he's not the head of a committee you think he's basically walks right into the dalvin cook role i think that's the anticipation now could somebody in this preseason come out and just be like holy cow where did you come from sure but right now as we're sitting here on august on august 7th um madison is the guy in minnesota that is something that I'll, I'll probably need to adjust a little bit on. I've been treating him a little bit more like a semi-talented committee back. And you know what? At the end of the day, volume is king for these fantasy running backs. So if they end up using him like Dalvin Cook, well, then we're probably going to have to treat him very similarly to, to Dalvin Cook. Let's turn to, uh, we'll put it nicely. We'll say the, the rebuilding division of the <laughs> NFC, the NFC South. Let's start off with, I think the most interesting team in that division for fantasy, which might be the Falcons because of how many high end fantasy pieces are here. We let's start with Kyle Pitts. Ryan and I are Kyle Pitts enthusiasts are, you may also be a Kyle Pitts enthusiast, but at the end of the day, we actually need him to score fantasy points to be enthusiastic financially about Kyle Pitts. What's, what's the plan from this year? He, he was not always running routes last year. It was very, very disappointing after this exciting rookie season. Where does year three take him? So I mentioned that breakout article that I wrote. Kyle Pitts was on there as well. And the Falcons really made so many moves this offseason. They spent a lot of money, did a lot of it. Their first move this offseason was trading for John Smith and from New England. And the idea of that was more of we're going to make sure John Smith is going to be more of a receiver this year. And like you mentioned, enough of all the blocking, enough of, you know, driving fantasy um, players nuts with the way they were handling him last year. And I think that's going to be the plan this year where we're going to see Kyle Pitts um, have a chance to live up to the what he was as the number four overall pick. We saw some of it in his rookie year. Last year was a big disappointment. And I think the idea of adding John Smith was really to um, help make Kyle Pitts what he is supposed to be. And that's not what it was last year and Arthur Smith a former tight ends coach is someone who would um, totally understand what should be the way to use him and clearly last year was not the way to use him and again like I mentioned before I'm a very big believer in guys who are about to get contracts they always play much bigger and harder than they probably should and usually whatever it is Pitts is entering a year where after the season he'll become eligible for an extension and he needs to have a big year for his own sake so I'm all in on Kyle Pitts this year am I putting him higher than some of these other top top end tight ends probably not but um in terms of what it was last year to what it should be this year i think we're talking about two different players let's stick with the this passing offense now 
most of us at this point have seen the video of Mac Hollins, where it kind of looks like he ate Mac Hollins of last year for <laughs> breakfast. He looked yeah. absolutely yoked. Do we think this offense will be kind of like maybe like the Miami Dolphins from last year where it's Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and then nobody else really does anything of note? Or is someone like a, a Mac Hollins? I know Cordero Patterson still there. How, how do you sort of see this target tree breaking down in terms of London and Pitts and then everybody else? Yeah, so I was actually reading Peter King's column this morning, and he was in Atlanta for, for their training camp. And he wrote something interesting where the Falcons' plan this year is to play positionless football. I mean, nobody really has an official position. We'll have Bijan, we'll have Algier, Cordella Patterson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, John Smith, on and on, Mac Hollins. There is no positions here. And he went pretty deep into saying that this could be the second most exciting offense behind Kansas City. I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm willing to go that far, but um <laughs> that's how that's how far he went with all of this. So I think the plan in Atlanta is to use all these guys and really just drive defenses crazy because we have two big targets with London and Pitts, and then we have a running back in Bijan who could do basically everything. And then you have Algier had over a thousand yards in his rookie year. You still have Cordell Patterson, who of course um, is, is, you know, we know exactly what he is. So um, there's a bunch of different guys in this offense who do many different things. And the way Peter wrote a positionless football, I think that's kind of their plan this year. And it might be something different than we've ever seen. I mean, in terms of offensive coordinators who um, know how to, you know, make some, interesting things happen. Arthur Smith has been one who could draw some interesting stuff. He made it work with Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota in Tennessee at times, and he's tried to make it work. This this team, back-to-back years, winning seven games with Matt Ryan and the last year with Marcus Mariota, considering the roster that they had, was pretty impressive, if I'm being honest. So this year now with all these players, I think there's a plan up his sleeve that we might not be ready for. So we talked about positionless football. Let's turn to the actual game plans in terms of running and passing the ball. If the, the Chicago Bears didn't exist last year, the Atlanta Falcons would have been talked about more as a historically low pass volume offense. Do you see that changing this year? Obviously, they're not going to just become a team that's throwing at a rate like the Chiefs, no matter how exciting the Falcons might be. How, how do you view this team that takes a running back at pick eight, fortifies the interior of the offensive line, but again, has two top eight picks as well with Drake London and Kyle Pitts in the receiving game? Listen, I'm a little bit higher on the Falcons than some some people. Like, I don't know. I just feel like they did – going a little bit from a front office perspective, this was the first offseason where their GM, Terry Fontenot, had the ability to have some flexibility to do stuff. Because when they took over that roster, there was so much dead money and old players left on the roster from Julio and um, Matt Ryan eventually to some offensive line contracts that did not work out that and move on from. that They were literally hamstrung to making moves, and they couldn't do anything anything over the last two years this was their first offseason where they truly had the ability to go out and add players and they added all the players they wanted I mean whether we don't care we'll draft a running back in number eight this is the player that we want we'll get Jesse Bates we'll get David Anyamata we'll get Caden Ellis on defense they have revamped that entire roster so I think this is the first true year that we're going to see what Arthur Smith truly wants to do and we'll also get to see um, really what that what, what that team really could be um, compared to what they've been the last two years, where again they somehow won seven games with those rosters. So I'm kind of excited to see what the Falcons do. I really have no idea what to expect out of Desmond Ritter, but the fact that they were so confident in him and they were like, "No, we're not going to go after Lamar Jackson," which is 
a team that everyone thought would go after him um, was, you know, a confirmation that they believe they see something with him. So that's really going to be the X factor in all of this. But um, this is a team that I think could potentially be pretty dangerous in the NFC South in a division that is fairly weak. If for some reason you're not following Ari, he's my sports update on Twitter, which I suppose we should start getting used to calling X. Ari just made me. For the first time in my entire life, I'm looking forward to an Atlanta Falcons football season based on what Ari just said. So let's dive into their primary division rival, the New Orleans Saints. Alvin Kamara just got suspended for three games. They just signed Jamal Williams. They drafted Condre Miller. What do you think that, that running back room looks like while Kamara's out? Yeah, so they've been bracing for this suspension for over a year now. There was some talk it could have happened last year, but the investigation was still ongoing, so the NFL stayed away. Finally, he um, everything closed last month. The NFL got involved, handed out discipline. And when they signed Jamal Williams and drafted Kendry Miller, it was with anticipation that they were not going to have Alvin Gamera for a number of games. And frankly, they were a bit surprised it was only three games because there were people in the league who thought it would be closer to five to six, which is what Ezekiel Elliott once got. But it ended up being just three. So Us they kind of got out. Yeah, they got out lucky there. Um, so that's part of it, which is um, interesting. So they'll roll with those two guys. I know it's out there that they're meeting with Kareem Hunt today. We'll see if that ends up getting a deal done. I know Kareem Hunt actually has some interest from some AFC East teams as well. So um, we'll see what ends up happening there if he, they let him get out of the building. But if Kareem Hunt ends up signing there, that running back room becomes kind of crowded. Um, I do still expect Alvin Kamara to be the guy once he's back. But this could also end up being his final year in New Orleans, considering the contract that he has there's a lot of different factors here but i would expect jamal williams to be the same thing he was in detroit last year i think part of adding him as well was to be more of that culture guy the locker room guy which he's excellent at and then kendra miller who they drafted in the third round they see some similarities to alvin Kamara. obviously alvin is a superstar but they could see the traits being similar so i'm curious to see what he does during those three weeks when he has a chance to be on the field but i think the plan is to have those two guys as the replacements for those two weeks and then eventually Alvin comes back and Alvin will have the same workload that he always had. In 2019, Michael Thomas had 149 catches and 185 targets. Then over the next three years, he played 10 NFL games in total. He's played just three in the last two seasons. So far in camp, it seems like reports are positive about Michael Thomas. You have anything you can tell us about him? Yeah. So Thomas, of course, the injuries have been a big problem, but um, for, for Thomas in particular, again, He's in a contract year. And as you guys know, I love contract year players. He's going to be a free agent next year. Um, so he needs a big year for his own sake. And him coming back this year, these last couple of years, have been without Drew Brees, of course. This year, he'll have Derek Carr, which is an upgrade considering what he had um, the last two years. So that receiver room now with Olave and Rashid Shahid is a player that they're excited about. A very interesting room. But I think for now, it's really just proving that you're healthy. And we really haven't really seen him be full force yet there on the field as to think he's still trying to build that connection with Derek Carr so this is going to take some time but we know what the talent is I mean we, we of course saw our offensive player of the year when he was healthy that year so are we expecting him to be that same player I think that's asking for too much but the Saints is hoping to have him healthy for a full 17 games and then from there we'll see where it goes but it's such a tough one to figure out like there are some receivers I think the same thing of last year with Michael Thomas where 
in fantasy for me, like I drafted him and I was expecting him to be great. And that week one game, he had two touchdowns. Like, all right, I got him <laughs> in the late rounds. I'm good or whatever. <laughs> and then, um, of course, what happened happened. So, um, you know, again, contract year is something that I like. If I'm somebody, I am looking forward to Michael Thomas at least playing more this year, being healthy. They believe his foot is finally fine after multiple years of having it be problems. But those things could be nagging and you never know where it's going to go. So there's obviously some concern there, but um, they believe it's all behind them. Before turning to the the Panthers reminder, everyone, you can find Ari's work, Ryan's work, my work on the 33rd team.com. It's currently all free to view. There's no website like it out there. If you want fantasy content, Ryan has been leading the charge on our fantasy team previews. We are almost done with all 32 teams. You can read these things in three to five minutes. You'll learn so much about the team in general, as well as how to view them for fantasy. And if you just like fantasy rankings, you say, Josh, just give me the rankings. Well, guess what? I have you covered. We'll have wide receiver rankings on the site soon. We already have running back rankings, tight end rankings up. I'll have quarterback rankings at the end of this week. And then next week, you'll get the full shebang, the full top 150 fantasy rankings, all positions, Full write-ups for every player. Now, let's turn to a team uh, that actually has fewer fantasy-relevant players than most. How about that for a segue? Let's talk about this Panthers wide receiver room. They're all basically free in drafts. Ari, do you have a favorite? I, I know I've leaned Jonathan Mingo. Our local wide receiver whisperer, Jordan Vanek, has leaned on Adam Thielen. I think Ryan has stayed away more than Jordan and I have. How how do you see this pecking order shaking out? Because you could tell me almost any name at this point will lead the team in targets. And I would simply believe you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a great question. And I honestly don't really have a good answer to all of this, but, um, it's going to depend on really what type of Bryce Young are we going to get? Are we going to get the conservative Bryce Young where the Panthers are going to try to slow him in? Or are we going to see someone who's going to be ripping it a little bit? And I really don't know what to expect out of this coaching staff. This is a team that hired a bunch of former quarterbacks and smart offensive minds with Frank Reich and Josh McCown and um, Jim Caldwell and Thomas Brown, who was a rising star on um, Sean McVay's staff. So it's a bunch of really smart guys in, 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 that, in that coaching staff. I just don't really know exactly what to expect with how they're going to handle Bryce Young out of the bat, where are we going to go, um, you know, 30 plus passes per game, or are we going to try to lead on the running game because we signed Miles Sanders to a good contract? So there's, there's that part of it. But I am a little bit intrigued by DJ Shark. You know, he's a player who had, um, I don't think it's out there, but the Lions actually offered him more money to come back to to Detroit, and he decided to go to Carolina on a one-year, $5 million deal. So I'm not sure what he saw there, but he decided to go there to be in a contract year in that situation over Detroit. So um, I'm curious to see how he does in that offense, but I don't really have a lean towards any of these guys, whether who's going to be the, the big fantasy guy, for example. I was very high on Jonathan Mingo in the draft. He was one of my guys to keep an eye on that we did on, on, on the on the site um, and the Panthers took him early in the second round but rookies are tough to figure out sometimes so um, I, I really don't know what to expect out of this offense it's going to be interesting Adam Thielen is really just the, the veteran guy there he'll definitely see the field I think LaVisca Chenault will be used in that offense as well in some gadget ways so um, there's a bunch of different guys in, the, the, in this offense but who's going to be the primary guy for Bryce Young I guess you only have to see to find out in this type of a situation in Tampa Bay I mean, this might be the most monumental downgrade in the history of the league at quarterback. We're going from ta- going from Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield. So 
The passing game is going to be volatile, but we want to ask you about Rashad White. Right now, the pecking order behind him is, you know, you have rookie Sean Tucker. You have Kayshawn Vaughn, Chase Edmonds, Patrick Laird, apparently, is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Do you think Tampa Bay signs anyone, or do they go into the season with Rashad White on top of his step chart and a bunch of very uncertain guys behind him? Yeah, so there are still a bunch of veteran running backs who are available, as we all know. And Tampa Bay had some interest early on in Zeke, and I don't know, it cooled off a little bit. <clears throat> um, we'll see where all these guys in the blanding. I mean, they're still available. There are some of them are waiting for injuries. Some of them are waiting for just better contract offers. Um, could Tampa Bay loop back in? Definitely possible. Um, I have not really. I don't really sense that anybody behind Rashad White is threatening him to take over that job. So I would assume he's the number one guy there in that offense. Chase Edmonds was was signed this offseason. He's proven to be somebody a couple of years ago, had a bad year last year, was traded. So not sure what to expect out of him. But it would seem that Rashad White is the guy right now in Tampa Bay. And barring an addition to that running back room, which again could happen, there hasn't been much noise or any tone that would tell me that is happening right now. But um, I would expect him to be the guy in that offense again ari is my sports update on twitter ryan reynolds is at ryan reynolds nfl on twitter keep tweeting at him whenever you don't like what ryan reynolds does with the soccer team we find that hilarious right, right, right. and i'm josh larky you can just find me at jay larky tweets let's now turn to the final division in the nfc the nfc west I don't think any division was more difficult for betters last year than the nfc west Considering that we had the Seahawks come out of nowhere, we had the Cardinals collapse, we had the Rams collapse, we had the 49ers, old faithful, doesn't matter who the quarterback is, seems like that team is set up to be a Super Bowl contender every year. So let, let's dive into this division and we'll, we'll start, let's just get them out of the way. The Cardinals are everyone's favorite to be getting the number one pick next season. But before they can do that, they actually have to play this year. Who starts on opening day at quarterback for them? And when do you think Kyler Murray returns from his injury? So uh, I would imagine it's called McCoy as the favorite. I know this is probably the least interesting quarterback competition in the NFL <laughs> right now. Um, they did draft a quarterback in the fifth round in Clayton Toon, and I wondered what is there to lose to play him? Like, what yeah. are you getting by starting Cole McCoy? You might as well just see what you got in the young guy. So I would not be surprised if eventually during that start of the season, if he does get some snaps, just to see what he's got, unless they're just seeing right now in camp where he just doesn't have it. So forget about it. But um, I would not be surprised if at some point we end up seeing him when Kyler Murray comes back, it, it depends on really what their record is. I mean, if you're going to be one in five, is there a reason to rush him back? You might as well just let the season go and um, only play him when you feel like he's 1,000% healthy. Um, there is that question of also, do we just want to lose games? Because that number one pick is pretty valuable. So um, that part of it, I'm sure, might cross the minds in that front office. I'm not sure how Kyler Murray would react to that. I'm sure it would be very upset. But um, if they're some way, somehow, you know, two and four, and that locker room is like, you know what, Kyler's ready to go. We got to bring him back in. I wouldn't be shocked if Kyler is playing, but um, um, I think it does depend a little bit on their record. But I do expect to see Kyler Murray this season. How fast he comes back, I think, is dependent on their record. Who starts in Week One is a great storyline. Again, no one really talking about it, but Clayton Tune is um, definitely a name we'll see in the preseason. And if he's shining, I don't see how they don't at least consider playing him to start the year. Ryan has seen me in this light, Ari. You're about to see what kind of an actual fantasy maniac I am. <laughs> 11, 10, 6, 10, 10. That is a five-game in-a-row sample 
of Zach Ertz's targets from last season. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Obviously, he he's hurt. He won't play to start the year. I have been taking him at the very end of some of my fantasy drafts thinking, you know what? There is nobody this late in fantasy who last year was giving me double-digit targets at the hardest position, tight end to crack. Is this the Trey McBride show, or do you expect Zach Ertz to once again be the guy when he returns? Well, they're paying him as the guy. Now, I know it was in the previous regime, but he's he's getting paid as one of the top tight ends in the NFL. So I would assume you put him on the field once he's healthy. But this is, again, a team that also used a second-round pick, I believe, on McGuire. Again, it was a different regime. But, again, I think this is a coaching staff that is also just going to play the best players. They're going to try to set a culture, which is really important for what Jonathan Gannon and Money Osifer are trying to do over here. And they're going to play the best players who they believe are going to be here come next year when they believe they'll be a little bit more competitive and have a little bit of their own fingerprints on this roster. You look at that team. They barely added any veterans in for agency, not much spending because they are planning this year to be a, um, a wash year. And they realize that. I mean, this is a team that had three players retire from last year, three starters, J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, Rodney Hudson. So they knew they had to strip it down, and they did. And um, Zach Hurts is one of those older players. I'm sure he still wants to play. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some of those young guys eventually here just to figure out what do we have over here? Are these guys who are going to be with us in 2023? Zach Hurts' contract, I'm looking at it right now, they can get out of it after this year. So there is no future with this guy when it comes to this regime. So I wouldn't be surprised if eventually we end up seeing more of these younger guys who are guys we're going to have over here in 2024, 2025, and beyond because we have two first-round picks, two third-round picks next year. It's all about building for the future right now in Arizona. The Rams won the Super Bowl in 2021. Last year was a disaster of a season. But they go into this season with at least a good core of Sean McVay as head coach, play caller, Matthew Stafford, who is at least a borderline Hall of Famer. And you have Cooper Cup, who was the offensive player of the year two years ago. The offensive line was a major issue last year. Do you think there's any chance that it's it's better this season? Well, they used their first pick on an offensive lineman in Avila, and um, he is someone that they are – they definitely – um, targeted because I believe they actually tried to trade back into the first round to get him and they couldn't, but they ended up getting him anyways at I believe 36. So he's someone that they're going to be working in there. But overall for the Rams this year, I mean, the fact that Sean McVay came back tells me obviously they're, I don't know how to properly say this, but if you guys remember after the season ended, there was a very odd statement that was put out there by Kevin Demoff, who was their president. He was like, we know this isn't what you're expecting, but he basically admitted that they're not going to have a good year this year. I mean, I have to go back to see the wording, but it was a very funny statement. It didn't really get that much attention, but he's like, we're, we're going to take on all the dead money medicine this year, where we, we're going to have our first round pick next year for the first time in forever. So I think they're, they got Chami Bay back. They convinced him to come back, and they're expecting this year to be a little bit of a difficult year. So that's part of it. Um I, don't, I really don't know what to expect of this team. I'll be honest with you. It's such a that you like you have Stafford, you have Cup, and you have Donald, yeah. and you have one of the great coaches. But everything else That's is it. like, who, who, who are these people? You know what I mean? <laughs> so so um, it's difficult. But I think they're expecting this year to be that type of year where we're going to take a bit of a step back, and next year we're going to have all our cap space, and we're going to have all our draft picks, and we're going to build this thing back up to the way it should be because they really exhausted all their measures to get that Super Bowl, and now it's more of again just like Arizona, figure out who are the guys we're going to have here in twenty twenty. 
Ari, while you were going with that, I, I checked, I confirmed. Steve Avila, guard, taken, like you said, at pick 36. Guys, Ari is a machine. If you yeah. are not one of the 675,000 people <laughs> lucky enough to follow him on Twitter, you need to rectify that immediately at my sports update. Let's turn to the 49ers, the, the current headliner in this division. When Ryan and I put out team tiers a few months back, we had four teams in tier one. And the, the 49ers were not there. They were actually at the top tier two. We thought they were the fifth best team in the NFL, but we said, hey, it's tough to rank a team as a tier one team if your quarterback situation's a little murky. We fast forward. Brock Purdy looks healthy. Is he obviously the guy? And are they actually seriously considering trading Trey Lance? Because I know I put out this rumor into the Twitter sphere that kind of, not even a rumor, I just said, wouldn't it be cool if Trey Lance was a Falcon? And then people took it. They ran with it. I still think Trey Lance shouldn't be on this roster, given what they're trying to do. How, how do you view this quarterback room shaking out for the class of the NFC? Yeah. So um, Brock Purdy, first of all, has been ahead of his ahead of schedule in his elbow recovery. He was given a six month timeline. We'll know for sure exactly where you are after three months. The surgery was around March 10th and he beat all the timelines and he's out there at training camp, no PUP list. And they have said that he's going to be the leader in the clubhouse to be the week one starting quarterback. They signed Sam Darnold this offseason. It was reported a one year, four and a half million dollar deal. If he ends up playing, he can make upside to 11 and a half million, which tells you that this is a team that really um, believes in, in the player to give him those type of incentives and could see him being on the field. And then Trey Lance, I mean, this is something that I don't know if you guys were involved in those discussions. I don't remember. But back in February after the combine, I notified a few people here at the company, like, there's Trey Lance stuff going on, and I would not be surprised if he gets traded. And the 49ers were like, I don't want to say they were shopping him, but they were open to moving him, essentially. And it just never got to a point where a team made a substantial offer. I mean, if you remember in the draft, the 49ers didn't have a pick until round three. And it was a week before the draft. There was a report out there, I think, from NFL Network that they're taking calls or whatever. I think that was more of them trying to get a second round pick in that draft so they could pick earlier and nobody stepped up to give that type of an offer. So going into this preseason now, they're going to let Trey Lance play and they hope he ends up shining. And worst case scenario, yeah, we'll keep him on this roster. And considering what happened last year, it's not a bad thing to have three quarterbacks on the roster, or even four quarterbacks on the roster or Brandon Allen. But they would they they definitely have sent out signals throughout this offseason that they would be open to moving on. And I think I've gotten the sense that they're over the whole, we drafted him at number three and we gave up multiple number ones. They're not going to let that be a factor anymore. And they believe Brock Purdy is going to be the starting quarterback. And from then on, if Trey's on this team, great. If he's not, we're ready to move on. And it is what it is. We're still one of the better teams in the NFL. Wonderful stuff. That's been, you know, a, that's that's literally a situation we've been talking about for what feels like six months now. So that's, I think, the best information I've heard on it to this point. Now. The last team we have in the NFC here, Ari, is the Seahawks, where let's just say Josh and I have some investments in the Seattle Seahawks this season, where we are Seahawks Bulls. First, Pete Carroll's been, you know, Pete Carroll's not exactly Mr. Reliability when it comes to injury reports. We have Zach Charbonnet. He's out indefinitely one day. The next day, he's getting carries in practice. What can we make of the running back injuries in Seattle right now? 
Well, I do want to give some so give Pete Carroll a bit of a break. The I, I I went back to watch the press conference with the Charbonnet stuff, and no point did he ever say that it's indefinitely. So I feel like we'll we'll give him some credit there. I think that was misinterpreted misinterpreted by a different word or whatever it was. So Charbonnet's back out there. It seems like he's getting back to um, close to healthy. I guess we can say Kenneth Walker. I mean, what he said in that press conference again. Sometimes you have to take Pete Carroll's words um, as a grain of salt, but it was more of um, we don't want it to get worse, so we'll sit him for now. We still have a lot of time. So I would anticipate both running backs being healthy by the time week one rolls around, right? which is what matters, right? So um, I, I would expect that to be the case, and those two guys are – we know how Seattle loves using their running backs. We'll see both of them uh, most likely in that offense, and um, that's probably the plan there in Seattle. I missed your second question. If you could um, just repeat what it was. Oh, no, no, you, you got that one for the running backs. I'm, I'm going to actually have two more on deck for you. First, Jackson Smith Najigba was the first wide receiver taken in this draft. They already have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. What are you expecting out of JSN in his rookie year? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be very involved in this offense. We'll see those three wide receivers on the field at the same time. And it was interesting because this was a a pick that, if you remember during that draft process, there was a lot of talk about the the Seahawks taking a quarterback, a Geno Smith replacement. Of course, they took Witherspoon at five. And then JSN was a player that, throughout the draft process, Geno Smith was telling the front office, please, if he's there, take him. And um, they ended up, he ended up falling to 20 and they got him. And um, listen, I, I was, I'm a big believer in JSN. Of course, whatever happened last year happened, but his, his season two years ago was absurd. And there are people at Ohio State who will tell you he is better than Olave and Garrett Wilson, which makes you wonder where in the world, how good could this guy be, especially when defenses have to worry about, you know, Lockett and Metcalf and the guys in the backfield as well. So I'm excited to see what he ends up doing. There's a lot of mouths to feed over there. I think yeah. there are still going to be questions about Geno Smith and if last year was a fluke year, but the contract they gave him is essentially a one-year contract so they can still get out of it after one year. I'm super curious to see how he does this year, but the weapons who are there, he should continue to do what he did last year. I mean, I, I, I don't know if he's going to live up to that same level, but I don't think he'll be playing the way he once did with the Jets. So it's somewhere in between there probably. It's interesting what you say about Gino and that one-year contract since Ryan and I are very optimistic about Gino, but that that contract kind of looms in the back of our mind that in some ways last year was a prove-it year, and they basically said, why don't you have another prove-it year and we'll pay you more for this second one. Guys, we have gone through 16 NFC teams. We will actually be back later this week on Thursday to cover the AFC conference and ask Ari all the, all the questions we have that the fantasy community, that us as fantasy players want to know. Ari, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time. Again, Ari Mayrov is my sports update on Twitter. Ryan Reynolds is at Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. I'm Josh Larkey at Jay Larkey Tweets on Twitter. And you can find all of our work at the33rdteam.com.